0: Okay, this morning we're going to read, I'm going to read from Matthew 28, and we're going to see how this was fulfilled, obviously, in Christ, and by Christ. So in Matthew 28, in verse 1, it says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, The Word of God is so very rich in everything, in every single word. So when it says this, again, it was the end of the Sabbath. And in this sense, it was the end of all law works, of all trying. And this is what the resurrection of Christ, who is the resurrection in life, this is what it absolutely brings out. And this was what the Holy Spirit brings out about Christ we celebrate a lot we celebrate easter as a, as a particular day when it is our very life every moment we have this resurrection life so again it says in the end of the sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week the first day of the week is sunday that's the first day of the week the last day of the week is saturday the last day of the week saturday is representative of all the works that those outside of Christ, or when they don't experience him, try to accomplish. To do so is to do so outside of, if they're born again, the resurrection life that Christ is in them. And so we see this very, very clearly. So the first day of the week, it says, it began to dawn, and that's the dawn. Christ in resurrection life rising, And the darkness of the the night, the darkness of the law of people in darkness trying to fulfill what only he has done, is over. It's over. And that's when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. This angel is reflecting the very glory of his creator, Christ, who put on humanity. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the woman, fear not, stop fearing. And that's what resurrection life has ended in us. Christ, who is in each of us, when we received him, he ended all fear, because in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. And God has not given us in Christ the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a very well-disciplined mind. So, fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. Verse 6, he is not here. How many tried to seek him through dead works? How many only experience, those that are his, those that are born again, how many only experience a dead Christ experientially, just wanting to go to heaven and get away from it all? Well, he is not here because they were looking for a dead Christ. And remember what Jesus told them in these Mary's. He told them again in John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? So he is not here. He is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly with this message. Go quickly and tell his disciples. See, this is the message that we constantly manifest Together, it's called resurrection life. And that is the means by which we have this intimacy of fellowship. Because our fellowship is not based upon what we do, what we don't do. It's based upon who, who Christ is in each individual. And again, it says, go quickly and tell his disciples. And this is what we confirm to each other. See, when one is down experientially, who's one whose Christ is down, the other comes in and reminds them. Reminds them that he is risen. He's risen. And he's in you. And he's above everything in you. And so he, he is risen from the dead. Behold, he goes before you. Notice that. There isn't a place where God will call us, where that place that God has called us to is the place in that specific area where God, in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is waiting for us. He's waiting for us. So behold, he goes before you into Galilee in this particular place. There will you see him. I have told you so. There you're going to see him. The only place that we see him properly is in the presence of God. And the reason that it says that there's joy in his presence in Psalm 16 verse 11 is because the joy that the father has in the son and the son having that joy in the Father with the Holy Spirit proceeding from them and involved in all of that joy is God. And so there's where we will see him. And where do we see him? Dead works? No. The old is crucified. We're to know no man after the flesh, the dead man, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. No, we're not to know. We don't even know Christ that way. Notice what It says, The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, we as a church are not to know Christ as a dead Christ. He's living. And he's where? Where is he living in resurrection life? In us. Never separated from us. And so this is what the message is, and this is what we give each other. This is the fulfillment. And what we want to get into here in these verses is to see what his resurrection life has already accomplished in each of us as his own, as an individual, and then making up the fullness of Christ in a particular local assembly, which is a part of the whole. You remember back in Genesis, the third chapter, how the enemy being very subtle, being subtle, being a liar in John 8 and verse 44, he approaches them. Now, he, he approached Eve, He didn't approach Adam, he approached Eve, because he knew that her, as a responder, he could deceive. So, through his subtlety, he told a lie, and of course, the woman partook of it, and then she gave to Adam, and Adam transgressed. Now, in both cases, something happened. Something happened there that that the enemy did and we'll see the reason why he did this okay and obviously it is because of because of the hatred that the enemy has towards those that God loves because after all he did not create angels in his image he created man you and I in his image but since that was the case the enemy hated the reflection of the image in Adam and Eve. So through his subtlety, he sought to do something. And we're, we're going to see this. We'll see it. And what did he seek to do? And this is where we can learn and learn from the Scriptures. Again, in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11, we can look at those and begin to learn about them and about what God is doing in us As a result of this resurrection life. And what that resurrection life has done. It has done. Of course it's glorified God. You see resurrection life. First and foremost. Had to do between just the father and the son. This is where. What what is answered to in the type of Abraham and Isaac. As they went up on top of Mount Moriah. We see there. That when Isaac asked his father, where is the sacrifice? We Everything else is here, we don't have the sacrifice. And that's when it was said to him, the Holy Spirit, through Abraham, in answer to Isaac, who was the promised child, where the seed of Christ would pass through, all the way down to when he was born, in Luke 1, in verse 35, formed there and then born there. In that 14-year-old peasant girl, he said in Genesis 22 and verse 8, God will provide himself the sacrifice. The fact of the matter is, is that resurrection life is proof that God Almighty is completely satisfied with the sacrifice of his son and resting in him confidently. Resting in him. Satisfied completely. And there's where we get our joy in Romans 5, verse 11. So that had to do with that sacrifice, that resurrection life had to do with God being propitiated. And then all those that would receive Christ would be thus reconciled through Christ as as a substitute. That has to do with the resurrection life. It was a promise that God gave in the midst of their failure to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 and verse 15. That promise would be fulfilled on the cross. And it was. Now, what did he seek to do? He wanted to destroy the image of Christ, his creator, Satan's creator. And remember, God, Christ created Lucifer. He never created Satan. Satan... Satan was the what he reaped by trying to create or trying to do something outside of complete submission to Christ, his creator. Then he became Satan, the father of all lies, in John 8 and verse 44. And that's what his subtleties are. That's what we wrestle against. So, again, what we see in the scriptures very clearly this morning he was dealing with Israel. And this is where we look back with the finished work. They were looking forward to it. We look back. And so in Isaiah, the seventh chapter, this is what it says. It's In, in the first verse, it says, And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, or Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uriah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, And Pekah, the son of Ramahaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it. Notice that? To war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate, or one, with Ephraim. And his heart was moved. And the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. They were Scared, they were horrified of the enemy coming in and fear. You see, because outside of love, outside of resurrection life, which is love, what love has accomplished, God, there's nothing but fear. And so it says there in verse 3 Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth to meet Ahaz, you, and She'ajash, Arab, that your son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the causeway or the highway of the fullest field and say unto him, and this is what he says unto us, this this is resurrection life, the resurrection life that Christ is in us, and say unto him, take heed, be careful, and be quiet. Rest where God is resting. As far as you and I are concerned, God is quiet and at peace. Because Christ is our peace, he became the measure of the fathers towards us through him. And so he says, be quiet, because in Isaiah 30, uh, verse 15, quietness and confidence will be your strength. And that would be the result of that grace, that grace and truth that Christ is, and as he put on humanity in John 1 and verse 14. So he says, take heed, be very careful, and to be quiet, to rest in his love, where he is resting in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17. And what? And what? Fear what? Not. Fear not. Neither be faint-hearted. For the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and of the son of Ramaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramaliah have taken evil counsel against you. See, that was his subtlety satan's subtlety against adam and eve it was evil counsel it was evil counsel and so it says that he took evil counsel against you now but if god is for us and he is in christ who can be against us in romans 8 and verse 31 this is the reality of our resurrection life in christ we are so far above everything in christ Is there not anything that he is our resurrection life? And he is our resurrection life in Romans 8, verse 11. There's no question about that in the scriptures. Can evil counsel, again, ever touch God about you and I in Christ? No, resurrection life is the proof of it. It is the very, very proof of it in the scriptures. And so he says this, then he said, They say, let us go up against Judah and vex it. Cause trouble and vex it. And let us make a breach. And this is the word we want to look at because this is what Satan was trying to do. He was trying to make a breach in the image of God and Adam and Eve. And this is what he even still tries to do when the believer, they experience the flesh that's in them that they're not of, instead of experiencing Christ in resurrection life. There's, let us make a breach therein. So if the enemy can get a place, and this is what the breach does, it opens up a place, and we'll get into this word, and this is what he does, he looks for a breach in the thought life of the believer outside of Christ. And that becomes a place, and look what it says, a breach therein for us, the enemy, and set a king in the midst of it, other than Christ, something that's going to rule and reign and take authority over us. When it's not the authority of his love, the resurrection life that Christ is in us, then what does it amount to? What does it amount to? Fear. And is there any fear in God? Is there any fear in Christ? Is there any fear in Christ in us? Is there any fear in us in Christ? So he said, to make a breach therein and set a king in the place of Christ ruling and reigning. In the midst of it, even the son of Ayabe'al, thus says the Lord God, it will not stand, neither will it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus. And within three score and five years, 65 years, will Ephraim be broken that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. See, all of these individuals that are functioning under Satan against Israel, if you will If you will not believe, surely you won't be established. Have we been established on a solid foundation? In Matthew 16 and verse 18, and in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11, we have been established on a solid foundation. A solid one. Now, the promise that God was giving to Israel would be in future millennial reign, would be in the future millennial reign. And that's why he said, and wrote through Isaiah the prophet, in Isaiah 60 and verse 18, your walls will be salvation, and your gates praise. You will be a walled-in city. You see, Jerusalem had walls all around it to keep them safe within, and to keep their enemies without. But the enemy was always trying to make a breach, a way in, just like the enemy does. Tries to... In our experience. Again, he can never touch our position in Christ. So he tried, but the, the breach that he tries to make is in the thought life of the believer. In the thought life, he makes a breach so that something from him begins to reign in the experience and not the resurrection life of Christ. And so we know that as a man thinks in his heart, in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, so is he. So is the experience. Is the experience truth or is it a lie? Is it good or is it evil? And so there was a breach and they take counsel and the counsel comes in the form form of this lie, this subtlety that makes a breach for a place for the enemy to come in. And that's why even it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 27, give no place to the devil. Don't give him a place because it's a breach. And when we look at these words and when we see this, we see what Christ did. And what did he do? What did he do about all those areas where the enemy would breach to come into the experience? What did he do? What does he try to do? And what did Christ do? What did he do? Well, and here we go to Isaiah 58. And this is all based upon Isaiah 53, and we can see that. Isaiah 53, who's believed our report, our preaching, our message, our teaching, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, and that arm of the Lord that's revealed is Christ. For he will grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a very dry ground, Israel. No, no fruit, but he was a root to produce it. He has no form, nor comeliness, and when we see him, there will be no outward beauty that, we, that would attract us to him, no desire. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, ours. <laughs> and everything that affected his father and thus affected that love from reaching us became his sorrows that he took upon himself and dealt with, because what sorrow of our own could we deal with that he hasn't already dealt with? And we see that crystal clear in the scriptures. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Whose grief? Yours and mine. And we hid, as it were, our faces, Israel. He was despised and we, we, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows to the cross. Yet did we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Israel missed him. In John 1.11, he came unto his own as the very resurrection life and they rejected him but the truth is he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities you see the breach that the enemy see he breached he breached the very presence of god in ezekiel 28 and verse 15 he was perfect in all his ways complete in all his ways of obedience till iniquity till iniquity was found in him that's the breach and the iniquity, the breach there that he that tries to affect with a believer is to affect their will. See, if he can breach our will when it's not submitted to Christ, in John 4, verse 34, he f- fulfilled the will and finished the work. And that's why we need to submit ourselves in James 4, verse 7. Submit yourself, therefore, unto, unto Christ. And then you resist the devil. You resist him from making a breach in your experience. And so that's what he did. He breached the very presence of God. Now he wants to breach, and that's what he did, when with Eve and her will not being submitted in, in deception, completely deception. And we're like the Eve. We are we are his bridegroom, and we can become very very easily, uh, very easily deceived. And there and then, when he can deceive us, he'll accuse us. But that's the breach. But see, resurrection life has done it, filled up every single breach. And we have walls of salvation. The walls of salvation that we have are the teachings. And you know that we base the teaching upon the foundation. The foundation in Matthew 16 and verse 18 and 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11 is the fact that Christ has finished the work. He's the foundation. The foundation is laid. Now we build the walls of salvation. All those teachings about who Christ is in his person and the work that he's accomplished based upon his resurrection life that is in each of us. To the glory of God, to his glory and our glory in him in Colossians 1 in verse 27. And so we have these walls built up. And what do they do? What did the walls around Jerusalem do? It kept them dwelling in peace and rest in this life that was theirs, that could have been and will be during the millennial reign, but is ours right now. And then you have the roof, and that roof is very important too because it is love that covers. In Proverbs 10, verse 12, in 1 Peter 4, and verse 8, this is all resurrection and life. Listen, this is not just one day to celebrate. It's not just one day, it isn't, and then we forget it. No, we have resurrection life of Christ in us. He is in us to never leave us or forsake us in Hebrews 13 and verse five. Nothing can breach, no enemy can touch us in 1 John 5, 18, can't touch our position. So he comes after our experience. But on the foundation that Christ is in us, he wants to build walls in our experience that are based upon our position to keep us within and keep the enemy from without. Keep them out. So there's a breach. And we see this is what Christ has done. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, his wounds, his bruises, His pain, his pain, we are healed. See, his pain has healed us. That's what it has done. And so the breach that the enemy would make would be the breach in a fallen state. And from that point on, we were all born in what? We were all born in some form of pain and suffering. Every one of us were born. In some form of pain or suffering. And oh, how the enemy, and God gave me this particular thought this morning the pain of people living in self abuse, the pain of it that He does, that He causes even those that are his, Christ. The pain of self-abuse, choosing something other than Christ, choosing something other than Christ in the vessel in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. Treasuring something else in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is there, will your heart be also. But it talks about moth and rust can't touch it. That's because that's resurrection and life in us, in our position in Matthew 6 and verse 19 and and where your treasure is there will your mind your your heart be also in other words what your mind goes after the most and is most occupied with and that's why we have the treasure within us but the enemy wants to make a breach in our experience a place where something else can come in and rule and reign as our authority other than Christ who is our resurrection life and so the truth is yes all we like sheep have and can go, go astray. And when we do, we turn every way to his own way. What is the only way that's outside of Christ? It's the pain that the enemy breaches and gives us. And remember, choice has to do with a will. Sin has to do with the will. We choose to, you know, or just as much as we, we, uh, we can choose Christ in obedience. And that's why love is in the will. Sins in the will and love is in the will. We make a choice. We can make that choice. And so what we see here is that we are healed. And the enemy made this breach to constantly cause people to live in pain. And then he will give them a way. The lie is to give them a way out, but it's a way of bondage. And as long as he reigns as king, it's, it's living in the pain of self-abuse. Just think of the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the pornography, you just name it. What he causes, unsafe, but believers, living in these things, because it's the pain of self-abuse. Pain of self-abuse. But there is a beautiful kind of pain. There is, and there's no question about that. And there is. So he, the Lord, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He did never opened his mouth. Listen, with all his pain, he never opened his mouth about himself. The pain that he bore had to do with his father and us. It wasn't even an issue of himself. Resurrection life. Just incredible. He suffered such pain. And so he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before the shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will de- declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, in his deaths, it says, plural, because he did it for many. He died for many. He died potentially for many. Potentially, potentially those that would submit to him and receive it would have their sins transferred upon him, but wouldn't be otherwise until they did receive him, according to the scriptures. Because otherwise it would be a violation of a will. (laughs) And he would never do that. And he never has done that. And so we see that he made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his deaths because he had done no violence and neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. He had to meet the justice of the Father so that his love could flow to completely unworthy objects, but it would flow through his Son. And that's why all of our worth is in the Son and in him alone and in nothing else. Because he had done no violence, neither was deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Father, it pleased the Father to bruise him, to bruise him. He put him to grief. When you will make his soul an offering for sin, which he did, he will see his seed, you and I. He will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He will see the travail of his soul and will be satisfied. He saw the travail of the very soul of Christ on Calvary, and what it was accomplished would be the satisfaction of the Father. By his knowledge, whose knowledge? The knowledge of Christ, that's why it's important to know the person of Christ and the work that he has, past tense, already accomplished, by his knowledge Will my righteous servant justify, clear many of guilt and condemnation? Many. All? Unfortunately not. But potentially so. For he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he will divide the spoil with the strong. That's us. You see, Jesus Christ was crucified. Isn't that interesting? The very breach where the enemy made and the very breach where he came in against Adam and Eve. That is what Christ took upon him in in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. He was crucified in weakness, meaning he took on that nature where the enemy made a breach, where he made that breach. And what do we see then? This is Christ, and this is our potential in him, and this is the abundant life, you see. This is the abundant life. This is Isaiah 58. This is Isaiah 58. In verse 6 it says, Is not this the fast that I've chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens? You see, this is what the resurrection life of Christ himself has accomplished. To uh, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed of the enemy to go free and that you break every yoke You see, when there's a breach and the enemy has a place and he's entered into the experience, he's got you in a yoke, and that yoke is a yoke of bondage. It's a yoke of bondage. And see, that's why Jesus said experientially, first in salvation, then in experientially, in Matthew 28, 28, uh, 11 to 30, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and I, you will find rest. The only place where your soul rests is in me. Resurrection life. That's above every single thing. And so, verse uh, 7 of Isaiah 58, is it not to deal your bread to the hungry? I mean, he gave it to you, this resurrection life that you feed on. Now, isn't that what you should do now? It's so easy to do, isn't it? And that you bring the poor that are cast out of your house. When you see the naked that you cover him like Jesus did in the types brought out in Genesis chapter 3 and verses 8 to 15, is brought out very beautifully in the the types there in the actuality of what actually happened in Genesis the third chapter. That's just not a little story that that just happened, that God just happened to make up. That was a reality. The scriptures are very, very real and very true. We see that clearly and that your nakedness and that you cover him. That's what our love would do when we present Christ and then we fellowship with one another. In in that sense, and that you hide not yourself from your own flesh, meaning you don't you don't deal with those things, you don't give them over to Christ, you don't deal with them, you just continually continually live in the breach and the bondage of that breach with a with a yoke that keeps you from being yoked up with Christ. You see, this has to do with resurrection life. In verse eight, in verse eight, it says this again. Then, then will your light, and you notice it's your light, then will your light break forth as the morning. Brand new life. When did Jesus rise from the dead? When did they go to the sepulcher? It was in the morning. Did they find a dead Christ? No. No, he was a living Christ. He was a living Christ. And your health, your health will spring Forth speedily, quickly, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be what is behind you, impelling you to go forward, to go forward. Verse nine. Then you will call. Then you will call. Where will you call for resurrection life? And the Lord will answer you. See, He answers us only in resurrection life, in who we are in Christ. Then will you cry and he will say, here I am. I'm right here, closer than your breath. I am in you, in my son, in you. If you take away from the midst of you the yoke, the false one, the putting forth of the finger, (laughs) and speaking vanity, (laughs) emptiness, and if you draw out your soul to the hungry, you're not occupied with yourself anymore. You're occupied with the resurrection life of Christ in you, and you pour it you pour it out to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul. Then will your light rise in obscurity. You won't be so occupied with yourself, your situation, your circumstances, your details, what you don't have, what you have. All these things, you're going to be occupied with resurrection life, the treasure that's in you and then your light will rise in obscurity in the most unbelievable places, and your darkness will be as the noonday, and the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought, in this world system, and make fat your bones, and you will be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. Then it's going to be said this, and they that will be of you All that that Christ is in you, his resurrection and life, will build the old waste places. And you will raise up the foundations of many generations. Just think of that. Many generations, and you'll be called, because he who's in you will be called the repairer of the breach. He's done it all. The repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. What a beautiful thing. Again, that where it talks about the breach, it was a place, again, as we close this morning with this resurrection life that's ours in Christ, that has closed up and done away with every breach. Not only closed it up, but done away with it completely. He's done away with it. And so the breach is is brought out in, in Isaiah 7, verse 6, and is brought out in Ezekiel, the 26th chapter, in the 10th verse. You see, the enemy... Israel's physical enemies would always try to break through into the city to defeat them so that they could rule as king, as authority over them. Authority over the resurrection life of Christ that's in us. There's a breach. That word breach in the Hebrew is Baqa, B-A-Q-A. It's a primitive root. It means to cleave. And, geni- and it's in the genitive sense. The genitive sense speaks of source, where it came from. The source is from Satan to rend, to break, to rip open. To rip open and come through. To rip open and come through and enter in. And rule in the place of Christ in the experience the experience of a true life in Christ a true christian position resurrection life of Christ that glorifies the father and himself and we function in the blessing of the glory that Christ is in us in colossians 1 and verse 27 so these city walls these city walls in these two scriptures that we that god has given us this morning these city walls became breached or broken into and they were broken into in order to take them captive and what does god do he fills up all those breaches those lies in the christian experience where there's a breach not in the position but in the experience through a lie of the of the believer in his subtleties genesis 3 verse 1 2 corinthians 11 and verse 3 and so this is why This is why these scriptures come in as we close this out this morning in the beauty of this resurrection life that Christ is ours. Listen, it's not just this day. It's every single moment. It's an eternal day that we have with this resurrection life that Christ is. And that's why in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, it says the servant, the true worshiper of Christ, That word that that leader has been given doesn't cause him to worship himself. He worships the Lord where it came from. He takes no credit at all. It's Christ himself. And the servant, the true worshiper of the Lord, must not strive. But be gentle. You see, a man is gentle when all those breaches are closed up experientially. And then there's walls all around him that protects him, and not only him, but it protects his mouth from allowing anything other than Christ to come out to those that are Christ's. And so the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all, apt to teach, meaning he's very skillful in the teaching of who Christ is and what he's accomplished in himself. First and foremost, you see, it's first and foremost in the individual. To be gentle unto all and then patient, enduring all kinds of things. In meekness, meekness. Remember, that's the yoke. If a believer, if a man, is a woman, if they are resting in him, they're meek because they have a yoke that Christ is in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 30. Come and learn to me for I am meek and lowly in heart. I'm gentle and humble. Again, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. So in meekness and only in Christ individually is he able to instruct those that what? Oppose themselves. Do you see what the breach is from the enemy? It's to cause them to live in the pain of self-abuse, to abuse and oppose themselves when God is for us. And resurrection life in us is the proof of God's, his love that is so satisfied with who he's made us to be in Christ. And so, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance, give, if God's giving something, it comes through grace, and if it comes from grace, who does he give it to? Humble. And to be humble means this. I'm not thinking too highly of myself. I'm not thinking too lowly of myself. I'm not even thinking of myself. And why would I think bad or evil about someone else? Well, because I would be thinking that myself. There's a breach. There's a breach. But the teaching comes into the Christian's experience that's based upon their position to to close every area, every breach where the enemy's broken through. Peradventure, God would give them a complete change of mind. Give them the word with which they can make their way right back into experiential resurrection life. Give them repentance through the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves who were taken alive. And listen, see, we're, we're, we have life in Christ in Colossians 3, 4. We are positioned in him in Ephesians 1, 3, right to the end of the chapter. We are positioned in him, but in our experience, the enemy seeks to take us alive. And had caused us with resurrection and life to function in the lie of death and bondage through a breach, a breach that he makes. And so that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken alive captive by him at his will because their will hasn't been submitted. There's been a breach. They've, the breach separated their will from experientially depending upon Christ who fulfilled all the will. Of the Father. And so we see this that the breaches that were made in Israel, the enemy, their physical enemies, and we wrestle not against uh, blood and flesh like they did. See, as many times as God has taught us, our enemies are heavenly because of our position. In Ephesians 6, verse 12. They are we don't wrestle against blood and flesh like they did. You see, all their enemies, when they were in the promised land, when they started getting the True teaching of who they were. That's when the enemy really came in. That's when he really came in. You see that in the book of Joshua. To understand the two, you read Ephesians with Joshua. Their enemies were blood and flesh. Ours aren't. They're principalities and powers. Still trying to make a breach. Experientially, because can't touch the position. Can't touch it. No wonder he said. If a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die... All right, what would happen? If it dies, it would what? And let's read it. This is John 12, and this is what Jesus was teaching, and this is what we have in Resurrection Life. This is a Resurrection Life verse. It says this in in verse 23, Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that, that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly truly I say unto you except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die it abides alone but if it die it brings forth what much fruit the fruit of resurrection life in all of us the fruit of that resurrection life in us and that's why it says this that's why it says this in verse 25 he that loves he that loves his life will lose it that's the breach That's the bondage. That's the pain. That's the useless pain. That's the pain that's been done away with by Christ and given us the privilege to suffer in righteous pain. In 2 Corinthians 2, uh, in 2 Timothy 2, and verse 12, it says very, very clearly, in 2 Timothy 2, in verse 12, if we suffer with him, You see, pain that's not wasted. If we suffer with Him, we'll reign with Him. And we reckon that the suffering of this present time, the pain, is not even worthy. The pain that we're experiencing now is not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And so as we begin to wrap this up this morning, he that loves his life outside of Christ will lose it experientially. And he that hates his life in this world will keep it to life unto life internal. If any man serve me, worship me, he has to follow me. That where I am, resurrection life, there will my servant be also. If any man serve me, if, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. He's going to honor that. He's going to honor it. So as we wrap it up again, this final time, as we wrap this up this morning, very clearly in the scriptures, we can see it. Three times, three separate times in the Scriptures, three separate times in the Scriptures, it says it brings out this word, breach. It brings out this word, breach. And thank God that we have it. We're going to close this, and we will get into this, and we're going to get into this on tomorrow morning, which I want to do and bring this into our position about who we are in Christ and and. And just to see where we are in prophecy. But I do want to bring these things out and continue on this theme of this resurrection life that we have. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you. Thank you, Lord, that you've closed up every breach. Thank you, Father. And we will get into the specifics of this teaching and these words tomorrow and in Tuesday, if not tomorrow. And Father, thank you for this time Father, that's so valuable. This time is so key. This time that we have is so valuable. Lead us, guide us, direct us. Give us wisdom, Father. And in your wisdom, Father, oh, thank you, Lord, there's never any irritation. There's never any suspicion. There's no irritation or suspicion directed at a single soul, not for any any reason whatsoever, and don't allow the enemy to do so. And to cause that breach to come in and interrupt a beautiful experience a resurrection life with Christ, Father. And I thank you, Father, for this truth that we have this morning and that you so beautifully have given us. You've closed up everything. You are our walls. Christ is our wall around us. He's our foundation. He's our walls. He's our roof of love that covers. And out of it, Out of those gates, out of our mouth comes praise. And we praise you and worship you for your resurrection life, your self-sacrificial resurrection life that's in your son. Thank you, God. Thank you, our Father. Thank you for our precious Savior. Thank you that you are our resurrection life. Keep it new in us. Keep it new, because it is. It's brand new forever and ever. The blood of the lamb, when they see them in heaven in eternity, they're going to see him in Revelations 5 and verse 6 as a lamb that was just freshly slain. It's such a work. It's such a beautiful work. Father, we just thank you and we praise you for this truth. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you. Amen.